It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store today coming up uh, in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk with the uh, with a best-selling author from uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, Kenneth James Moore, in his uh, book, Pieces of Wood, um, goes on an exploratory investigation to the Pacific to find out what happened to his uncle in World War II, and it turns into uh, kind of an international crime thriller, but based on uh, true historic events. The the book is called Pieces of Wood. We're going to talk with uh, Kenneth during the third half of our show. Uh, coming up in the middle, uh, in the second hour, we're going to talk with uh, Linda Cunningham, who tells a partially first uh, part or first-person uh, account of uh, Hurricane Audrey um, in a new uh, in a new novel that follows 12-year-old Walt Lacour as uh, he struggles to find himself and learn his true identity amid the backdrop of a terrifying and deadly Hurricane Audrey, which marks its uh, 63rd anniversary next month. The book is called Early Thursday. A War, A Hurricane, 
a miracle. But first, we're going to go a little closer to home, down to Oakland County, and I have uh, joining me by phone the CEO of uh, Oakland County's only comprehensive program to deal with uh, domestic violence and and sexual assault called Haven. The CEO is uh, Amy Neme. And uh, also on the line with me uh, this morning is my favorite Oakland County activist, Pam Gerald. Uh, good morning. Good morning, uh, Amy and Pam. Welcome good to the morning, show. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. Um, let's let's start with Amy because Amy, I understand you have to um, you have to go shortly. You have a short time with us. Yeah. Um, but but let's talk. You're you're fairly. I, I don't want to say you're new at at uh, Haven, but you came to Haven fairly recently, given the fact that Haven's been around for forty years. Yeah, I've um, I've been with Haven for a little over two and a half years, um, but I came with um, a lot of work in this field, both uh, at the local level and then also at the state level as well. Do you, and and I'm I don't want to put you on the spot, Amy, but can you put in context um, how serious or or how common domestic violence and sexual assault is in in Oakland County, or maybe you have state figures? I don't know. Yeah. Um, what overall what we see. Oakland County in this and in the state are consistent with what we see nationally. So, um, around one in four uh, families experience uh, domestic violence, and one in four women and um, one in nine men experience, um, or one in eight men experience sexual assault. So, it is very common. It's common amongst um, women, families, men. It impacts the entire community. And is there um, any any kind of significance to age with regard to um, victims of sexual assault and or domestic violence? Yeah. Um, I, I guess what I'm asking the... is, do they tend to be younger? Well, it happens across the lifespan, um, so it, it happens to, to anybody at any age. Uh, what we see with sexual assault um, and with men particularly is that it typically happens when they're younger, um, but with, uh, with women, uh, we see it happening, again, across the lifespan. Um, you know, there, there are little nuances here and there as it relates to age, uh, you know, but nothing so significant. Um, that that it really impacts our outreach in any way. So, Amy, for the younger people that experience domestic violence and or sexual assault at a young age, do you think it's like a preconditioning to have these women going through the same thing or having these young girls to go through mm -hmm. the same thing when they become women? You know, it. It, ha it is so common. That's a really great question. It's so common, though, that um, it's difficult to point to it being that, to say that, you know, if somebody went through it when they were younger, they're more likely to go through it when they're older. It's just so common that it feels like the odds are you're going, you know, somebody's going to experience it. Um, you know, we do find that multiple uh, 
assaults and multiple uh, traumas do occur. And we see that if somebody is trauma, you know, experiences a traumatic event early on in their lives, um, for a lot of reasons, um, you know, they may experience it again later in their life. Um, so it's, it's really a, a mixed bag. Um, and again, because it's so prevalent, um, what we're really trying to focus on is, um, you know, one, how can we offer these services to support those in need, but also how can we prevent this before it even starts? So how can we work with young um, men and young women, uh, you know, around seeing the signs, around what healthy relationships look like, um, and around really changing our culture so it's not even an issue in their future? Yeah, Amy, to, to follow up a little bit on what Pam asked um, in, in separating sexual assault from domestic violence, there is this uh, I, uh, sort of um, belief, I think, by a lot of people that women who suffer physical uh, abuse, domestic violence, um, at a fairly young age, um, and, and not necessarily as children, but as young women in a first marriage or, or something, that they tend to be attracted to men that are likely to become violent. Is, mm -hmm. is that a real trend, or is that something we just have kind of made up around the, the issue? I, I think that, um, that there, it isn't a, um, it isn't a matter that they're more attracted to men. When somebody's experienced an, an early trauma, um, sometimes for them, so even if it's in their, you know, young womanhood, um, sometimes the, they may not see the warning signs as quickly. Um, because they have had such a traumatic relationship and there's been so much violence that, um, you know, you, there's sort of a level of um, you stop listening to your, your inner alarm bells in order to survive, really. So um, that's really what we see is that there might, you know, they might get into a relationship and not see some of those early red flags or not necessarily listen to their gut that's saying something isn't right here because, um, you know, because of this, the, the way that the violence, you know, kind of escalated and presented itself before in their past relationship, they had, they sort of learned to, to not listen as much to that gut instinct um, so that they could keep themselves safe. And, now, Amy, that's, uh, that's one of your guiding principles. You talk about the importance of having that education early on for these younger people or just victims of domestic violence to understand the root causes of the abuse that they're experiencing as well as the gender equality and the oppression mm -hmm. so that they can confront it and deal with it. What are some of your other guiding principles at Haven that you use to teach victims or survivors of domestic violence how to identify this? Sure. Uh, we do a lot of education around those warning signs that I was talking about. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, particularly with um, intimate partner violence, uh, these relationships don't start out with physical violence. Um, so sometimes they start out with certain things like extreme jealousy or controlling behaviors um, really subtly 
uh, and then over time, it may lead to violence if the if the abuser is not getting what they want or if they're not able to maintain their control over this person through these other kinds of means. So we do a lot of work around um, educating um, children and adults about what some of those warning signs are um, and, you know, all of the different ways in which an abuser might start to exhibit that um, those abusive behaviors, that pattern of uh, power and control, um, so that they can start uh, to see that and understand that it isn't just about physical violence. Um, there's also often sexual violence, and then there's also often, um, there's always some level of uh, emotional violence as well. Amy, with um, people who've been traumatized by sexual assault and and, um, and or uh domestic violence fairly early in life um can they and, and this again kind of uh throws back to what pam asked earlier about preconditioning um can they become fully healed absolutely yeah um, well that's great news <laughs> I yes, think it'd it be is. really hard to do this work if there was no hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always hope that it will get better and that you can make yeah. this bad behavior stop. But you know, I, but I but I wonder how how lasting the trauma is. You know, it it really depends on the person. Um, you know, some folks go through a trauma, a traumatic event. You know, they're able to process it. They've got a good a good support system, um, and um, you know, they 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 move they move on with their lives. They never develop post traumatic stress disorder, um, and you know, they move forward. Some folks, uh, it takes a little bit longer, um, and, you know, sometimes it depends on the intensity. Sometimes it just depends on other protective factors that may exist in their lives, um, and they may develop post-traumatic stress disorder um, that takes a little bit longer. Uh, we have counseling services at Haven um, where we work a lot with uh, trauma survivors, both those who just recently experienced it and those who've experienced it in their past. Um, and we really work them through the process of, um, you know, learning, understanding, kind of working with the feelings, working with what happened so that they can fully recover and, um, you know, live a full, healthy life. Amy, I Amy? have a break coming up here in about a minute, um, and I'm not sure when you have to uh, pull away, but can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk a little bit more after the break? I want to I wanna at least talk about... Uh, some of the services that you offer, yes. and, uh, and of course, some contact information as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, my guest is uh, uh, Amy, and, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right. Is it Name? It's Nima. Nima, okay. I'm terrible with names, Amy, so please forgive me. Uh, not a problem. <laughs> and she is the CEO of Haven, the uh, uh, Oakland County's only comprehensive program to deal with uh, domestic violence and sexual assault. We're going to talk about some of their services when we come back. We also have on the line, and I know she's going to hang around for a little while, is uh, my favorite Oakland activist, 
Pam Gerald. So we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. 
where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the uh, CEO of Haven, Oakland County's uh, only comprehensive program dealing with domestic violence and sexual assault. We have CEO Amy Nima. Nima. I think I, got s- it I think I said it <laughs> yeah, right <perfect. laughs> on the line with us. And uh, also uh, joining me by phone, my favorite Oakland County uh, activist, Pam Gerald. Um, Amy, there's there's two or three things I want to touch on, and I know you have to go soon. But, um, and, and you can just let me know when you have to, when you have to let us go. But okay. I, I want to talk about what some of the programs that Haven provides for people who have suffered uh, sexual assault or domestic violence and what how people can get in touch with the with the agency and how people around them might help them make the decision to get in touch with the agency okay um so haven um we are available 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. Um, I think just to back up, the, the reality of intimate partner violence is that it really impacts um, somebody's entire life. So the, the dynamics of intimate partner violence or domestic violence um, are that the, the perpetrator, the batterer, um, really, um, in order to exert power and control, over their partner um, does does a lot of sort of controlling tactics that can really, when somebody um, is finally able and it's safe to leave that relationship, really leaves them often needing a lot of different kinds of support. So, for example, they'll often sabotage employment. They'll they'll be the ones to control all of the the finances, um, things like the house, the car, all of that will be in their name. Um, they'll threaten uh, they'll threaten the children, and so. It's, you know, it's more than just the violence, and I think that's important to set up um, so that you can understand why our services are so comprehensive, because we really need to help. Um, if we're to keep survivors safe and to be able to help them gain independence from this, we really need to be able to provide a lot of different kinds of services. Um, so we, um, all of our services kind of work across the spectrum for um, survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. Um, they start with our prevention services. So we are in schools um, all the way from kindergarten, you know, teaching kindergartners about identifying safe adults um, and um, all the way through college. We talk to students in college, too. And it, it's a curriculum kind of moves through um, consent curriculum, you know, building, like I said, healthy relationships, what that looks like, you know, what is toxic masculinity, how does that play into this, all of those things. Um, we do, and then we also do that, tr- that training and education in the community to start building awareness and really try to build a community where this ends, um, you know, in our lifetimes. Um, we also have a lot of um, crisis-based services. Um, we have a 24-hour crisis line. Uh, we have advocates on call 24 hours a day for sexual assault survivors. 
Um, we have nurses on call 24 hours a day um, for to conduct um, sexual assault nurse exams um, for um, folks who have just been assaulted uh, and need to get that medical exam done. And then from there, we have legal advocates um, for all survivors to help them work through the court system. Court processes can be overwhelming. Um, they can be really stressful, and they can um, often re-traumatize somebody. So we have uh, folks on staff who walk through that process with them and help them manage through. Um, we have counseling services for children, children and adults, um, for primary survivors, and then also for family members who are affected. Um, and then we have um, our shelter, which is an, a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week shelter for survivors of domestic violence so that they can get somewhere safe um, while they figure out what their next step is going to be. What we know is that when a survivor leaves is the most dangerous time for them, um, so getting them a safe place to stay while they figure out what their, you know, what their options are going to be is really critical. And so that we, Amy, have, we have that available. Yeah. Amy, how is uh, Haven funded? And how can people donate or assist you in this organization? We are um, kind of unique in that half, about half of our funding comes from the local and federal government, uh, and then the other half of our funding comes from the generosity of private foundations in our community. Um, so we um, are uh, we rely on community support really to keep our doors open to keep our shelter going. Um, we have a website um, that you know anyone can visit to make a donation to learn more about us. It's haven-oakland.org, O-R-G. Um, and then we also have a Facebook page um, under Haven Oakland um, where folks can learn more. We also have a wish list for, you know, some people like to donate things. Um, and so we've got a, a wish list of items that, you know, that we always need for our shelter and things like that. What Tom, is I wanted to share something with you. Uh, I became familiar with Haven right before Beth Morrison became the CEO many, many years ago. And you mm -hmm. remembered I had a talk show, a visual talk show that came on public access. And one of the things that we have done in the city of Southfield, and I think as Amy alluded to, most municipalities do this. So they have community development block grants, and they allocate certain amounts of money for these programs that are within your county or within your city. And for many years, I have always fought for the city of Southfield to increase the amount of money that they've given Haven. So with all the cutbacks that places have experienced and cities have experienced, we were only allocating originally $1,500, but at a recent city council meeting and after dialogue back and forth, I was able to get the city to increase their donation through the block grant from 1500 to $3,000. So that's something that you can do in your city is advocate for your local government to increase the amount of dollars that come from the federal government through these community development block grants. Amy, you mentioned uh, that there are things that people will donate from time to time. Um, what are some of the supplies and, and things that are most needed if people listening were thinking, well, you know, I've got some stuff. Obviously, you don't want to get overloaded with stuff you can't use, but what are some of the things that, that really are needed? Um, we, uh, 
we typically ask for things to be new um, because we'll end up using it a, a lot. So we we like things like um, new sheets for our shelter, um, you know, blankets, linens, things like that. Um, gift cards are always really helpful to be able to provide uh, survivors household items. Um, our counselors often like things like craft kits to be able to um, share and do with the kids. Um, so, uh, and we've always got an updated list going on our on our website and our Facebook change, uh, page because it changes um, kind of seasonally and then based on what we have. We also always have just a real practical need, especially these days, um, for uh, san you know sanitation supplies. So things like Lysol and Lysol wipes, uh, toilet paper. Um, it's become easier to find for a while. It was difficult. Um, Especially are, toilet you know. paper, right? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Running a shelter and uh, needing toilet paper uh, last uh, April was not a great place to be, but uh, we made it work. <laughs> um one of the one of the areas that that I'm really curious about is is how the educational programs are working. Um, the ones that Haven does and other organizations around the country are, um, and and I know it's not always women that are the ones who are the victims of domestic violence, but very often it is, and there is this impression that they are afraid to report it or to come forward or to leave and yeah. and I'm, I'm wondering is that getting better with the awareness that that's starting to emerge you know it's 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 one of those things where for it to get better that would mean that we're getting busier so it may look like it's not getting better because more people are reporting um, and people are talking about it more. Um, so we're starting to, to get busier, and we have seen that happening. Um, you know, I do feel like the, um, the, the, there's just been more openness. The Me Too movement was part of that, where people are talking more about domestic violence and sexual assault. Um, and so that ha has helped us. It's helped us more in schools um, because kids seem to know a little bit more about it now. Uh, and then it helps us... Um, it helps survivors kind of empower them to start talking more about it. So, you know, you had mentioned earlier what somebody can do if they know a person who's going through yeah. this or suspect. And I think the fact that there's been, you know, more social media around this and, and more public discourse around it means that if somebody talks to their neighbor about it or their friend about it or a family member about it, um, you know, it used to be, and it still is in some cases, that there was a real fear that the person would blame them and not understand that it's not their fault. And I think that that's getting a little bit better. Um, and so I think really what I would say to a loved one, family member, neighbor, especially now during COVID when that's who we're relying on to be our ambassadors, is really first and foremost believe the person. Um, and then really follow their lead in terms of what they want to do next. If a survivor says that they're too afraid to leave, believe them. Take that seriously because there really is a lot of really practical danger that they're in. For, um, to be for friends and family, is it, mm -hmm. is it best to encourage a victim to come forward on their own as opposed to reporting it somewhere? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you know, encourage them and encourage them to call a program like ours. Every community has something similar um, so that we can talk them through their options and sort of demystify that process for them. Um, but, yeah, really encouraging them, unless, you know, of course, you've witnessed something directly, um, uh, really encourage them. To, or if something to is happening in real time. Exactly. And you feel exactly. that, you know, there needs to be an emergency response. Absolutely, yeah. And, Tom, it should be duly noted that all of the services that Haven offers, they are free of charge. That's that's a good point, yeah. Pam, and, and I'm sure Amy appreciates you making that point. Um, a- Amy, for people who just want to learn more about what we're talking about what's what's the the best first place to go is it is it haven's website is there information there that would help steer people in the right direction yeah there's a lot of information um on our website and then there's also links to other you know national resources um or ways to find you know our sister organizations and other communities so that's a good place to start um, and then we also have our crisis line that folks can always call um, to get more information. Even if they're just calling because they're a concerned friend, um, we can help talk them through, um, one, their own feelings around it because it's difficult to see your friend going through something like that, and then, two, um, how they might be more supportive to their friend. Well, Amy, I really appreciate you sharing time and uh, um, the work that you do. It's uh, Amy Nima. And she is the CEO of Haven, Oakland County's uh, only real comprehensive program dealing with uh, sexual assault and uh, domestic violence. Um, One last question, Amy, and we'll let you go because I I know you've got places to be and things to do. Um, What about the people who commit acts of violence? What kind of help is out there for them? And you mentioned... Um, that their behavior is controlling, and and it always seems to me that that kind of behavior is out of control. That's, uh, yeah, it does appear that way, but um, it really is part of a a, um, a bigger process, um, a pattern of power and control that they are exerting upon their partner. The violence doesn't come out of nowhere. The violence is typically very calculated, so um, you know that's that's what we've seen. And there's there's more information about that on our website as well to kind of shed some light on that. Um, and there are programs, there are, um, there are offender um, programs, better intervention programs um, for uh, perpetrators of these crimes. Um, and a lot of those are through courts. Um, we don't provide any of them at Haven, um, but there are community organizations that we can provide referrals to who do. Well, I was just thinking that, you know, in addition to providing help to uh, um, the people who suffer from these acts, as Haven does, that societally we really should be looking at the people who commit these acts. Yeah, helping well. the abuser. Mm-hmm. Well, Amy, thank you so much for spending time thank with you, me Amy. this morning. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And keep up the good work. Thanks yeah. so much. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. That was uh, 
Amy Nima, the CEO of Haven in Oakland County, also on the phone with me, is my favorite uh, Oakland County activist, Pam Gerald. And Pam, usually when you reach out to me, you've got a beef. What's your beef these days? Well, you know, the last time <laughs> I was on your show, um, you know, I talked about my credit union that I've been a member of since I was in elementary school that I love so much, Security Credit Union. Um, we had a meeting on October the 27th, and just as I alluded to when you allowed me to talk about this, I knew that I was going to be eliminated from the process of participating in the meeting, and that's exactly what happened. There was only four people other than the board of directors that was on this webinar call. They blacked out my screen so you couldn't see my face, and they muted my microphone. They only allowed the two people to, to talk, and it was two Caucasian men. Uh, my husband and I, we were eliminated. And then the meeting only lasted about maybe four and a half, and if you include the small talk afterwards, it was about five minutes. Now, they claimed to go and follow the Robert's Rules of Order template of what you should have on your agenda when you're doing these types of meetings. Tom, it is no way possible that they can cover everything on that agenda and allow the appropriate dialogue to take place in four and a half to five minutes. It's no way possible. So after that meeting, I filed a series of complaints. And there's going to be, when I'm done, about eight different complaints. One of the complaints that I filed got some immediate action from Security Credit Union and their board of directors. So there were two what I call board of directors in waiting, and they gave them uh, a title called associate directors to kind of pacify them and give them a reason for coming to the meeting. After I filed one of the complaints, two of those association members, one of them is African-American, were invited to come in to become real board members with voting privileges. So even though I fight for a lot of things, they don't always benefit me and what I'm fighting for at the time. It will benefit others. And when you're an advocate... You're not concerned so much about yourself. It's others and the process of things that's done. And, Tom, let me just tell you this. this the board of directors, mainly the, the CEO or the chairman of the board, um, Mr. John Truckin, he should have been on this interview with Haven because at the meeting he was really abrupt and nasty and, and actually rude to me. You know, I said... At the meeting, well, let me, let me say this, Tom. The meeting happened, but I was silenced. Imagine an African-American woman that's as assertive as I am with a piece of tape on her mouth. That's what the <laughs> board of directors did to me. They, they did allow my picture to be seen. I saw the five uh, or seven board members sitting there. But I was not allowed to speak via the microphone. I had to type in all of my questions. So you know how... Oh, we lost Pam. 
Well, maybe she'll, uh, maybe she'll call back. Anyway, you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. We have a break coming up in a couple of minutes, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll hear back from Pam in just uh, just a moment, and we can finish up. Coming up a little later on the show, we're going to talk about Hurricane Audrey, which uh, commemorates a 63rd anniversary next month, and uh, a new novel takes place with. Uh, Hurricane Audrey as kind of a backdrop to the story called Early Thursday, A War, A Hurricane, and a Miracle. And we'll have the author, Linda Cunningham, who lived through that hurricane um, when she was growing up in uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana. Oh, that might be Pam. Let's see if we can just shoot her right straight over to the board. Hello. Hey, hey there, Pam. We got you back. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I don't know where. Oh, and she got dropped again. Well, let's see. Maybe, maybe she'll call back again. Anyway, um, yeah, Linda Cunningham will be joining us uh, next hour. And uh, in the third half of our three-hour tour, a fascinating story. Um with a dark piece of World War II history not often talked about, um, bringing to light the atrocities Imperial Japan inflicted on millions of innocent women. Okay, that's Pam. Okay, Pam, let's try this again. we got about two minutes left. Hello? Hello. Okay, so I'm not sure where we stopped off in the meeting, but they basically silenced me again, basically putting a piece of tape over my mouth virtually. Pam, Did not you... allow me to speak in the microphone. I had to type in all my questions, and it's never been done. When, when you talk about making complaints um, about a situation like this, and, and I'm thinking about other people who have similar problems with other organizations, where can you take complaints like that? Well, mainly for um, this particular issue with my credit union, one of the complaints that I have filed is with the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, Ah. regarding the credit union asking me to commit a felony that was punishable by uh, five years in prison and a $10,000 fine, and that was to ask me to violate the gam leach Biley Act of 1999. They expected for me during the COVID to get 500 signatures from members and ask these strangers, a lot of them would be strangers, for their account numbers and their address. So if you saw me with the petition, Tom, and I ask you for your account number and address, would you give it to me? Not, not Not even to you, Pam. Exactly. And I couldn't even stand on the property. And, Tom, no one in the history of the board of directors has ever gotten 500 signatures. This is why I'm trying to tell people this is not a level playing field. I think they're intimidated by me. I think they're intimidated by my intellect, education, my proficiency in Robert's Rules of Order, and they're just having a hard time dealing with a younger African-American female. 
That's what I think. Well, I, I, I have a very difficult time imagining, imagining you in a meeting sitting silent. And, Tom, it probably <laughs> wouldn't happen, but what you can envision is that I would always be professional, Pam, appropriate, I, I've got to and inter- well-informed about the subject matter. I've got to interrupt here, Pam, because I have another break coming up. You want to stick around for a few minutes so we can talk a little I bit? I certainly about- do, since okay. I got disconnected twice. <laughs> gotcha. This, my guest is uh, Pam Gerald from Oakland County. We'll let our broadcast partner squeeze in a few words. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, Scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources.
The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. TomSumnerProgram.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, my my guest, uh, if she's still with us, is uh, my favorite uh, Oakland County activist, uh, Pam Gerald. Pam, are you still with me? Tom, I'm still here. Good, 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 good. <laughs> and with all that audio, uh, uh, you know, that the difficulty that we had, maybe it's the board of directors trying to disconnect my calls. <laughs> it's it's got to be them or the Russians. <laughs> right, absolutely. But, Tom, I wanted to be clear, since we were cut off twice, that the meeting that I'm talking about more recently is the meeting for this year, 2021, that occurred on April the 27th. They silenced me basically by virtually putting some duct tape over my mouth. I was not allowed access to the microphone, and I had to type in all of my questions. Second of all, we've never had in any meeting of this magnitude someone presiding over the meeting other than the chairperson. They had their lawyer presiding over the meeting, acting like a parliamentarian, and he's not even an RPP a registered professional parliamentarian. But I'm sure we paid him to be there. And just the disrespect that the chairman showed me by not allowing me to speak, and he made fun of something that I said. Uh, one of my questions, I said that I think, no, it was your last interview. They, they listened to your show, and it was our last interview where I said that they are colossally incompetent to the process. He didn't even know that colossally is a word. Now, why would a guy be chairman and not know that colossally spelled C-O-L-O-S-S-A-L-L-Y is a word? It's an adjective. It means of great size, extent, or amount. Right. Immense. He asked the question, I don't even know if colossally is a word. Is it a word? Why would you be the, the chairman of the board and not have proper use of the king's language to know that that's a word? Unbelievable, Tom. Unbelievable. Well, Pam, you've you know expressed uh, grievances more than once ab about your relationship with, uh, with this credit union. Why stay? You know, Tom, and I'm considering that. I am absolutely considering that. I'll tell you why I stayed. My mother established this account for me when I was in elementary school. I have fond, wonderful memories of this credit union when it was more like a family. When you walked in and people knew your name and they said hi or knew your mother. Uh, we were able to, as kids, take our candy for the school fundraisers and go down there during the time that my mom was handling her business, and we could sell 50 or 100 candy bars by the time she left talking to everyone after she conducted her business. 
And I can tell you, as a kid, it was a great place. The employees was great, but it seems like with the management that they have now, I feel like people are working in a very hostile environment. It's almost like they're afraid to be kind to people or maybe just Pamela Gerald. But I can tell you, when I walk into the credit union now, the vibe is different for me. So I am considering maybe taking the bulk of what I have and putting it someplace else. And I can tell you, Tom, there's a lot of credit unions that are doing it right. One in particular that I'm getting real familiar with is Elga Credit Union. (laughs) Elga Credit Union is following what they need to do as a credit union in terms of providing the products and services, the customer service, but more importantly, they have a supervisory committee and a credit committee. The credit committee acts If you apply for a loan and you get turned down, you can appeal to the credit committee. Security Credit Union got rid of that. Either they don't know what to do, what a credit committee is supposed to do, or they feel that the good old boys network, somebody that doesn't even know that colossally is a word or what it means, could handle this. So now it's done by the board of directors. They have a supervisory committee at Elga Credit Union. The supervisory committee is like a committee if a member has a problem with management. The supervisory committee acts as a conduit between management and the board of directors. Once again, my credit union doesn't have that. So if I could sum all of this up, Tom, to say they still lack uh, greater inclusion, diversity, and equity. They met their one African-American quota by putting Jesse Collins on the board, now giving him voting rights as a result of my complaint. And, I, and I'm, I'm happy that they did that. But you're still missing the female. So this is what my husband and I are doing in the process. And I want to share with the board of directors. The Michigan Credit Union Act is called PA215 of 2003. In case you don't know what PA means, it's Public Act 215 of 2003. My husband and I have started working with some of the legislators to try and get some um, amendments done to this act to make sure that this credit union will have a credit committee and a supervisory committee. And, Tom, we were Security Federal Credit Union, which meant we were chartered by the federal government or the National Credit Union uh, Association. We changed that when we merged with Lapeer Credit Union, and now we are... Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to uh, end it there, but uh, Pam will be back with us uh, next Thursday um, with uh, some other guests and probably more to talk about. So... um, We'll uh, we'll we'll go to break here in a moment, but we've got uh, Linda Cunningham, the author of uh, Early Thursday: A War, a Hurricane, a Miracle, coming up right uh, right after the top of the hour.
It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>